0: So good to see everyone, and I know that if you're like me, we're, we're like, we're, we are in it to win it. We're like, Christmas is around the corner, corner. How many of y'all feel excited about that? How many of y'all feel a little anxious about that? Woo! I could hear that. All right. Well, listen, I want to encourage you to grab your notes, and we're going to continue on. Uh, we are in a really important um, series in our church right now. We're calling the, the series Fear Not. Say it with me. Fear Not. And when I think about putting together uh, different content across the year, let me just give you a little insight of what what I, what I have to do. I, I think about uh, there are times I want to challenge us to grow. There are times I want to challenge us to reach out. There are times I want to connect us to a deeper understanding of God's word, maybe through a a book in the Bible or something like that. There are times that I want to preach to you pastorally. And by that I mean I want us to see the hope and the promise that we can find in Jesus Christ and the promises that he comes to offer to us. This is a pastoral uh, series. And what we are doing in this series is we are looking at some of the fears that grip us in our world and grip us right now uh, in our culture. And so this is why we're looking at this and we're exploring together. Uh, and this is what I've been saying, one of the most used declarations in all of the Bible. If you look at the different times Jesus is saying certain things to his people, he is oftentimes saying a form of this idea, fear not. Fear not. And I, I think about this because, you know, I, I, if you're like me, I'm sure you would think there are some other things that you would imagine that the Lord would probably also want to say to us, and maybe that those things might even seem more important. But when you, when you really begin to look at this and you begin to dive into it a little bit, we begin to see, and we pull the, you know, the curtain back, we begin to see how strong a force fear is to keep us from really doing uh, what God would have for us to do, or even understanding who we are in Christ, this is a big thing, and so we're looking at that in this series, and we're preaching at that uh, pastorally, and uh, we're looking at some of the rational and the irrational fears that sometimes grip us. I was reading a while back a, a, a different definition of fear. Going to bring one to you every week. Here is one uh, author puts it this way: They they write at its simplest and most benign. Fear is an internal warning cry that danger is nearby and we better do something about it. It is designed by God and what researchers refer to as oftentimes a self-correcting mechanism that is unpleasant enough to motivate us to take action and remove ourselves from whatever threatens us. And then the author goes on to say this is uh, fear in its most healthy sense. But what I'm talking about right now in this series is is our fears that are unhealthy. Anybody recognize that? So we're kind of talking about that right now. I was thinking about this. I have someone that I know that was uh, preparing to have a conversation with somebody who is very intimidating. You ever have a conversation with someone really intimidating? And uh, this guy was talking to his wife, and this is what he said. You know, when I think about this conversation that i got to have and how intimidating this person is, he said, my palms start to sweat. And he was admitted this to his wife, and she didn't really respond. And about an hour later, he can't get it uh, out of his mind, and he walks through the family room, and he says to his wife, as he's walking through again, he goes, you know, when I think about this conversation that i got to have with this guy, he said, my mouth just gets dry. And she goes, I know what you can do when you're in that moment and that's going on. She said, lick your palms. (laughs) Come on. That's better than I'm getting credit for. Jeez. All right, so uh, here's what we're doing, though. We're looking at some of the deeper fears, and I think really the fears that are connected sometimes in our relationship with God. Here's one. We started We, we started with Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, parents of John the Baptist, and we, we looked at the fear of missed it. That there are these moments in our lives sometimes that we feel like we're, you know, that we've just missed it and life has gone on and, and maybe some of our promises or some of these things, you know, are not going to happen. It's not really what we see in our culture right now. We, we know the word FOMO or the acronym FOMO. It's really f- uh, f- fear, f- me, fo- me, f- fear of missing it. I'm going to move on. And we're looking, we looked at how God works redemptively in our lives. I, there's a verse of Scripture that for my own life and my own presence before the Lord, when I think about, you know, places where I would go, man, it kind of looks like I missed it. I remember a verse in the Old Testament through the prophet Joel who said this, God is yet able, listen to this, God is yet able to restore unto us days locusts have eaten. Isn't that awesome? I mean, we have, we have this God, here, here's the God revealed in Jesus. We have a God who restores broken things. Anybody got anything broken? God restores broken things. And He builds into our lives hope. So, so that's, that's a fear we looked at. Last week, you remember with us, we just simply looked at the fear that we're not enough. The fear that we're not enough. And we looked at Mary, we looked at that powerful passage of scripture where it says Mary was from Nazareth. We remember the guy who said in the, in the New Testament, Hey, can anything good come from Nazareth? And we know that Mary was, you know, dealing with this, uh, you know, this idea that she was not uh, enough for what God was asking her to do. And we learned through Mary how to rely on his power, how to trust in his plan, and how to depend on his presence to overcome this. This is a big fear a lot of us have sometimes. We just, we just feel like we're not enough. I can remember Beth and I were reflecting, uh, you know, December's a time to remember, and I, I remember all the Christmases. Uh, that I've uh, been through as a pastor. And I can remember the time when I was first starting out. Some of you know this story. And I started, you know, I, did, I was learning how to preach. I didn't really know how to preach. And I was learning. And as an associate, you know, in a big church, you didn't preach all the time. Like he would throw you one every now and again. You know, and then, and then some of you know the story. Uh, you know, we got, I, I, I moved to a church in June and July. The pastor left, went on vacation for 30 days, I had to preach all the time. Twelve people died while he was gone. I was doing funerals like every day. I would, like, I'd come in, I'd wear my suit, and the people would go, who died? It was just like this weird, weird thing. And I felt like at the end of that 30 days, I was like an expert. But I, you know, Beth and I, we were learning how to navigate that, and I would come home thinking I did a good job, and I'd say, how did it, how did it go? And I, I, she'd say, great. But I could see the look in her eye that it was like less great than probably it actually I thought it was, you know? And sometimes we fear that we're not enough, and, and this morning what I want to do, I want to I wanna talk about another fear, and we're going to go to another uh, gospel, and I want to share another story, and I want to name a fear, and I want to tell you, to, uh, here's what I want to say on the front end of this, I want you to listen very, very carefully, and here's why. I think the fear we're going to talk about today is the most corrosive fear that we're going to talk about in this series. And it's the one maybe that's most embedded into our culture right now. So I want to encourage you to listen up. And we're going to read the story, if you will, of uh, Joseph. And we're going to read it in the way Matthew records it. So this Matthew chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 18. And here's how we're going to learn together. Matthew says this, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. So this is how it happened. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together as husband and wife, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had it in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after, that's important, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she's going to give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people. He will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. For the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he didn't consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, um, I believe with all my heart you have a word for every single one of us today. Those listening online, those who are here. And God, I pray that you would in this next, these next few minute, minutes, Help us avoid being sidetracked or distracted in any way, so that God, you by the power of your spirit, would say living words that bring freedom, freedom in this place. For we pray together in Jesus' name. Uh, As I shared, I think Joseph's story is a case study, a case study. And what I believe to be one of the most corrosive fears that's currently going on in our culture, and I want to name it, and I bet you'll agree, it's the fear of other people. Fear of the opinions, the opinions of other people. Uh, We live in a culture today that this uh, is running at such a high level of toxicity. It is, it is like a cancer that is destroying our culture from the inside out. And I think if we're ever going to live into the reality of what God would be, uh, first of all, calling us individually toward, what he would be calling his church, his bride toward, we need to th- have an honest conversation uh, around this topic. And I, I was thinking about this because I thought, you know what? I want to um, just by candor a little bit, share out of my own experience uh, the, the kind of corrosive nature that, that happens when we live under the tyranny of the opinions of other people. Um, I first be- noticed this uh, in my own life when I was in elementary school. M- most of us in elementary school have a few moments that we would probably uh, like to not remember. Remember? and i can remember one time i don't even i don't even remember what grade i just in my brain it sort of imprinted into uh you know an elementary school experience where one morning uh, before class we were just sitting around and we had this moment you know and a lot of us are learning uh in elementary school what it is to relate to other people you know who are your age and there's all of this kind of these inner these dynamics going on and uh the guy that I, in my own brain i had I had sort of identified as the coolest guy in the room, right? And it wasn't me, by the way. Now, now I don't want, I'm not asking for compassion, maybe a little. <laughs> but um, I have to tell you that here's an interesting thing. When he, when he said that, um, I took that on as a name. And so there was always a part of me that ha- has always thought that of 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 who I am. I still, to this day, if I were to be honest with you, even though there's a lot of healing and I'm going to speak to healing, when I look in the mirror every now and again, that, that, that image will, will come out. I have a friend of mine who had a, so he had, he had a, a division between his two front teeth. And, uh, and he, to this day, he says, I struggle when I smile to smile wide because even though that's been repaired from braces, I still feel that it's there. And I remember that. And so, uh, I, and going on, I can remember when I got to high school, uh, and I was in the ninth grade. We still lived in Braden, Florida. I played a lot of baseball growing up. That's kind of my favorite sport. It's the, it's God's favorite sport. So. You know, there was all this kind of stuff going on. And I can remember, um, I have this distinct memory of being in the ninth grade and I was playing uh, high school uh, JV ball. And I can remember the day before this happened, my dad took me to the sporting goods store and he bought me my first pair, if you will, of metal cleats. These were like official, like baseball cleats. I felt like a, a, like a major league baseball player. And I got there the next day, uh, for practice and I put my cleats on and I was running. I'm not a super fast runner. And our coach, I don't know if you've ever had a coach like this. He did not, uh, uh, he did not, uh, motivate you uh, toward the better angels of your nature. He used shame as a way to try to motivate you. And I'll never forget my, my new shoes. I was running. I was not running particularly fast. And he yelled out to me, and he said, "Lock, speed it up. You're slow. You'll always be slow. And when he did that, he spit his tobacco juice on my new cleats. I'm not making this up. And I, I, I remember when he did that, it's kind of interesting. I attached the idea... That I'm slow. So now I feel a little different because my ears are big and I feel a little slow with respect to my other friends. Sometimes those are names that other people put on us. Sometimes, though, it's the names we put on us. Some of you know the story I shared the first time I had a crush on someone. Everybody remember your first crush? And I'll never forget, uh, I was invited to her birthday party, her name was Dina, and I remember this very specifically, I went, uh, I was invited to her party and I told my mom, I said, I think we need to up the gift money allowance a little bit, because I wanted this to stand out, and I'll never forget, I said, you know mom, would it be all right if we went to Eckerd Drugs, how many of you all remember Eckerd Drugs? (laughs) And I said, can we just get a little bit more? And so my mom threw a little bit more money at it. And and I went to to the birthday party. And when I went to the birthday party, it was interesting. I was in this moment, just about in this moment, to bring my gift to Dina, to give it to her. And the coolest dude at the party kind of walked in front of me. And he gave her his gift, and he kissed her on the cheek. It horrified me. And it made me feel invisible. And I remember riding my bicycle home. I've shared this before. And I went in my room, shut the door, and I turned on the radio and listened to bad music. Like, all by myself. (laughs) I can't live. How about this one? Oh, Mandy. I remember first learning to preach, and I, when we were leaving Stuart, uh, we had an opportunity actually to plant a church, and we were home really excited about this. This would have been actually in nineteen, uh, let's see, ninety-one, and I felt that calling. Like many of you all know, I've shared that before, and I'll never forget. I was home for lunch. We were we were having a conversation about being asked to plant a church. And my senior pastor came and knocked on the back porch door. And I let him in, and he sat down at the table, and he said, hey, you're not going to plant a church. They chose somebody else. And I felt inferior. And sometimes what I want to tell you, it's not only the names other people put on you or the names that you put on yourself. I know this. I know a lot of you who are in here right now You have names you believe God has for you. I was meeting with a friend not too long ago uh, in our church, and uh, he's made some mistakes. And uh, he said, this is the word he used, he said, I feel like my mistakes have disqualified me. And as I listened to him, he went on and he said, you know, because I've done what I've done, he said, I feel like I can't be forgiven. And what I want to say in this moment is um, every single one of us in some form or measure has bowed to the tyranny of the crowd of voices within us. And this is what is behind what I think is one of the greatest fears of our day. And this is what makes Joseph's story so powerful. I want to ask you to just think for just just a minute. Think with me for just a minute. Can you imagine? Can can you imagine uh, being in a Jewish betrothal period, which is a three-year period? People ask me all the time, well, if they weren't Married yet, why does it say that he was going to divorce her? And it's because a Jewish betrothal period was, was easily like a three-year process. And it began when, when many believe when the girl was about 12 or 13 or 14, which they think Mary was 14, and, and, and the parents get together, and, and it's sort of an arranged marriage. And then that lasts for about a year, and then they go into an official contract. And it was in that contract period when, when the story we just read took place. And say, so can you just imagine um, trying to move forward uh, with an arranged marriage, trying to move forward, and then all of a sudden Mary comes to you and tells you, like, uh, hey, I'm pregnant, and you know you had nothing to do with that. First, you got to get over your disbelief that what she's telling you is true, because I think, you know, an, an angel has come and told me I'm going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Probably sounds a little like my dog ate my homework, <laughs> if I could just say. And can you imagine the intense scrutiny and the intense pressure this man lived under to cave to the tyranny of the crowd of voices around him? But here's what I want you to know. He didn't do it. He showed us a different way. And for any of you this morning that are kind of wrestling with some of these voices, um, I, I think there's, there's deep truth right here in this story that we need to understand. Things like this, number one, Joseph teaches us that we need a spiritual reservoir and spiritual reserves to draw from when times get tough. I talk to people all the time, and they, this is what they say. They say, I'm trying hard to be a Christian. And you know when they say that, you know what I will often say? Quit trying hard to be a Christian. Start training to be a follower of Jesus. I have another friend who says it this way. Every time he experiences a hardship in life, he says, this is what he'll say. He'll go, Dale, this is the moment I've been training for. Blah. That's how I feel about that. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, it says, but because... Joseph followed and abided by the law. Other translations say it this way. Because Joseph was righteous. Here's what I want you to know. He was doing the work to prepare him for a moment that was going to be tough. And that's a question I would just ask you. Are you doing the work to prepare for the moment when things get tough. He had spiritual reserves to draw upon. I have a mentor in my life who said it this way, people go bankrupt for the same reason businesses go bankrupt. It's often too much business on too little capital. All of us have an opportunity to train for the moments when our faith will be required of us. Here's another thing Joseph teaches us. Joseph teaches us of the value to do the right thing for the right audience. That's really powerful to me. The right thing for the right audience. Notice that all of this happens in Joseph's life before the angel came to him. So in other words, this. Because of this desperate situation, watch this, Joseph probably felt like he could no longer continue on to marry and go through the betrothal period with Mary because that would be, it would be in essence saying he was guilty. Can we just name that? But he wanted to show her compassion, and so the only thing left by him in the law was to divorce her quietly. He didn't have to do that. But he chose to do that. It, re- it reminds me of how he just played toward an audience of one. I think it's interesting. Um, Solomon says it this way. The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. not that good? Or this one. He has shown you, mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Micah 6, 8. But to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Joseph played toward an audience of one. It just makes me wonder, what would change in your life, you guys, if if we all started doing this and just started taking off all the voices? And all the names, and we started thinking about, how could I make the voice of God the strongest voice that I listen to? This is I'm telling you, this is Joseph's challenge to you and me. I, I think it's hard for us to imagine the scrutiny and the pressure that he lived under. And and before the angel came to him, he decided to do everything he could to abide by the righteous law and be as compassionate as he could be. And then it says this, then then as he was considering, it says, as he considered this, the angel came to him. Now, I want to say one word because we have to understand this historically. Scholars tell us there was this period between the old testament and the new testament the intertestamental period where there was 400 years they believe of silence where there was no prophetic utterance there was no promise there were none of the prophets of the day had any word everything was quiet and then all of a sudden because god was about to do something new boom all these angel appearances started happening it was just a sign that god was god was up to something and all of that happened after joseph made the decision to be faithful. Which just reminds me of this. God has a plan, even when we can't see it. And doing the right thing creates the opportunity for God to show up. I want to share just a story as we close. Um, you know, I shared one of, the, one of the, the, the name tags that I wore for a few years was the name tag that I felt sort of inferior, that you know, I wasn't given the opportunity to in a church. That, that was always something I wanted to do when God called me into the ministry. And, and um, so we were in North Florida, and, and we got sent to North Florida up there, and no offense to anybody in North Florida, my, my mom's side of the family's from North Florida, but we were over near Tallahassee where Florida State, sent. we were like, it, we were like exile. Because we were in Tallahassee, it was like exile, because it was Florida State, not Florida, it was like an exile. All right. Okay. And uh, I had this desire to plant this church, I, I just want to say. And, um, and I'm a little embarrassed to share this story, but um, so I went and met with my denominational leaders. And and uh, this is what he said to me. Uh, I knew if I was going to plant a church, I had to get more schooling. So I went and asked, and in our tradition, you had to ask permission. So I go to ask permission. And this is what the leader said at the time. He said, you know what? If if you stay, I've got a church, a really, not, a really nice church I, I, I think I'd like to have you serve as a pastor of. And if you leave our state, no promise, If you come back. So I remember going home thinking, wow, that's like pretty clear. And I went home, and I told my wife that, and she said, well, we should you know, keep praying about that. And then, and then I told a friend, and he was going to go with me to the doctoral program. And my friend called me one day. He says, i got a crazy idea. It's a little crazy, but I just let me share the idea. He said, you know, before we say yes to schooling, he said we should probably go see the churches where he was going to send us. Now, that's a little dangerous. I said, I don't know that that's a good idea. No, trust me, it's a good idea. So here's the embarrassing side of the story. I did that. And, and, I, and we went on this, claim. I remember preaching up in North Florida, we drove to these churches down in, in, in Central Florida and South Florida, we, and all in a day, we went to look at him, we took his son, when we got to the church where the, where the denominational leaders were going to send me, his son ran into the church, filmed it, got back in the car, we drove off. <laughs> I'm not even making this up, it's awkward to even share, and then I dropped my friend off and I'm driving home, it's almost midnight, I'm driving on I-10, and I was like, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? If I leave, I might not ever have work, but I really feel like I want to go and get more education. I want to play in a church. And I said, and and, and as the Lord is my witness, this is what I said out loud in my car on I-10 in the middle of the night. I said, you know what, Lord? Um, If you would make it clear, I'll do, I'll do it. I know you're calling me to do this. I'm just going to do it. And as the Lord is my witness, this car got, there was nobody else on the interstate. This car got on the interstate behind me, pulled up beside me, got in front of me, and the license plate was from the very county where the school is where I was going to go. Pulled off the interstate and disappeared. And we went. And so here's what I want you to know. God has a plan. And whenever I stand on this stage, I think about this because it was when we were at Kentucky that I got a phone call and a denominational leader said, you know, if you're willing, I'd like to send you to Palm Beach County to plant a church in Palm Beach County. You're the answer to our prayers. Now, Here's, here's what I want to say. I just want to say this. I'm, I'm not special. Some of you are going, duh. Okay? God has a plan for you. But you got to not listen to that. You got to listen to Him. So I'm going to close our time in prayer. And then we're going to sing a song that reminds you of what God says you are would you pray with me lord jesus christ would you give us the courage oh lord in this in this space to evaluate right now what are the voices that are most dominant in our lives and are they the worth the investment of our listening to them and what would you require of us God in this space so that your voice may increase, and all the other voices, be they our own or other people or misperceptions about you, that those voices would be stilled so that your voice, Lord Jesus Christ, would be the loudest voice in our mind and in our heart. Help us, we pray, in the name of Christ, and everyone said, Amen. Let's stand together. Lord, I pray that you give all of us the courage to not live by what the world says, but to live by what you say. Lord, that we would take our commands, we would take our identity, we would take, uh, Lord, our future from what you say and you alone. This I pray in the strong and mighty name of Jesus and everyone said, amen. Will you go in his grace and his peace? i will see you next weekend.